Greetings, Spaceburgers. A big warg to all of you. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving holiday, or at least a long weekend. And thanks for joining the rest of us out here. This little burrow, nestled in the deepest regions of our known universe. Safely and comfortably in a little cave out in space. Uh, let's get to some chatting first. Uh, a couple reminders, I'll be in Winnipeg. In Canada, that's where they keep it. Uh, January 14th through 18th of 2020, doing some stand-up comedy. And you can listen to my stand-up anywhere you get stand-up Spotify and Pandora and wherever else. You can also watch it. Uh, I have a stand-up special called One-Headed Beast on Amazon Prime and Roku and a bunch of other streaming places. So if you, whatever streaming service you have, other than than uh, netflix it's not on there but uh a bunch of the other ones it's on there if you'd like to see it get an idea and then we're filming a sequel to it um and i could use some help need some people in the audience january 26th which is a sunday night at dynasty typewriter in los angeles california okay let's check in with a citizen of planet earth Four podcasts lined up today. I just started now. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just got that intro spot where you're saying you, the schedule. We did that one time with Professor Blastoff where we, but we didn't have to drive anywhere or leave or mm-hmm. queue up Skype. We just kind of would finish, take off the headphones, take some pictures, welcome in the next guest. Right. I think we took a break between numbers two and three one location is easier (laughs) way easier but you're promoting you you get yeah i have to it's a a short amount of time i got to do as many as if i could have fit five in today i would (laughs) have i don't blame you man i saw the the total that you're shooting for this time around it's higher yeah last time would you go for 10 it was uh no it was 25 it was still high that's what i was gonna guess initially and i was like well but now this time 30 yeah 35 oh is it really yeah oh my gosh 35,000. But I've got the studio and the um, the publisher behind it, too. So I thought that would bring in a little extra money. Yeah. And, you know, the guys that worked on last time is like, you know, we really need to get a little closer to rate this time. So <laughs> it's really none of that money is going to me. It's all going to the, the yeah. artists. But they, I mean, they came in way under budget last time. Like, oh, I can't do that twice to them. So, yeah, they're they're comes this i'm making a thing in january um where i'm gonna i'm gonna film a segment of it at the dynasty typewriter Mm -hmm. here in la and i i desperately need there to be a crowd which sounds like well of course you're a comedian Mm -hmm. but it's not for me it's the the pro like the the product i'm making or the project uh the one of the characters in it thinks he sees a full crowd Mm -hmm. and so sometimes i think when you get not carried away but you get invested in a project and maybe you you do kind of like slide through the first time of figuring out like 
And I think we know so many stories of people maybe making their first indie film, mm-hmm. however, they called in every favor. Yeah. And then the second one, you're hoping that then a studio or someone gets involved and goes, wow, imagine what you could do if you had a bunch of money. Exactly. Yeah. But if you don't quite get that. Did we start? You, we've started. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as comedians, we always just kind of talk all the time. So you never really know when we're recording. <laughs> no, when I said I've chosen there to start. <laughs> yeah. I can always edit around it if. Uh, Actually, could we start over? <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. This is gold. <laughs> 35000 to make yeah. a follow up to. to is it far, long ago and long far, ago far, away. far away. Yeah. So it's the same team. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that the, like I said, the, you know, the studio is going to bring some uh, money in as well. But the thing about Kickstarters and uh, crowdfunding is it's, it's all, you got to still fight for every pledge. You have to have them like you. They yeah. have to like the project and they have to be able to get value for their, for their dollar. Yeah. And all that money that goes in, it's like I said, it's, it's to pay the other artists. I'm not, I'm not taking a dime. I'm just hoping at the end I won't have to put any money in. Yeah. You know, and uh, I play the long game on these projects where it's like, okay, well, let me get this made and out there. And hopefully, like you were saying, it will lead to more work. Like someone says, oh, look what he did with this. Let's give him something a little more and see what he can do. Yeah. And tr- now now we can trust him with this other smaller amount of money that isn't ours. <laughs> so, uh, but that's kind of... Uh, uh, where we're you know where we're at like uh like with long ago and far away you know i made that with at kickstarter but then starburns uh came and picked it up so it's out with comiXology and they picked it up on the studio side too so come january we're going to pitch it as a tv show so Sweet. that's where i would actually make the money on the project yeah like, uh, like it's you know i but because kickstarters you know you could put money in for yourself but then that raises the goal mm-hmm. so you know you you have to make kind of that decision what number can I hit and what number um, you know are all my collaborators comfortable with as far as like payment goes and compensation considering how much work they're going to be doing yeah so it's a it's an entire balancing act with a basically with a spreadsheet and then you have to figure all those things out like uh, okay well if you know I do it this way then like as I'll make money on the back end or it'll get picked up or you know as artists we do like okay well if i don't make money on this one maybe i'll make money on the next one but people will find out about me because of this one yeah so it almost becomes promotional expenses in a way too uh but at the end of the day you and i and everyone else we just we want to entertain people and tell stories (laughs) we really do we want to you know we want to get these characters and these stories out there and ultimately make uh, uh, people's lives a little bit brighter in our own small, tiny way. <laughs> yeah. I always, I've tried to strike that balance where how much of it people say like, well, that's a very selfish thing you've entered into. And you mm-hmm. go, how, how could you say yeah. that? Cause I think if you're on a deserted Island and you really, you know, you have to worry about your food and shelter, et cetera. There would definitely be a part when you had some of that handled where you would go, I wish I just had one song I could play or one book I could read. Mm-hmm. Just anything. Yeah. Just any form of entertainment. And then you juxtapose that with where we are, where you have unlimited access to all of it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're making any of it, people go, oh, that's a hobby. You're, you're just making something right. for you. And mm-hmm. you go, yeah, I guess so. But I'm really glad that this new song that came out did come out. If we had all stopped and agreed, like, we got enough movies. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could be on any island and yeah. never run out. Yeah. Sure. But there's something fun about the new 
element of it that gets introduced. As as horrible as the world is right now, imagine how much horrible it would be without art. What if art literally <laughs> just stopped? Yeah. You know, it would be... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just makes you kind of shudder. So anything from even, you know, you know, everything from a big studio to an independent film to an independent comic to something from Marvel, it's all uh, really interesting. And uh, I... I I always like to kind of find that diamond in the rough. Like, I can't go past a used bookstore without going in. Like, I'm like, well, let me see some stuff that's probably out of print that no one's ever going to see again. Yeah. And you always kind of find that one book that, like, almost screams at you, I want to be read. And then, you know, <laughs> you know, you buy it, you take it home, like, oh, my God. You know, it's a, um, it, it's like it's like finding buried treasure. I did that once with Wuthering Heights. It wasn't quite the same thing, but I was mm-hmm. subbing in a... a the kids had been as bad to the book as you possibly could have been. It had gum between pages. <laughs> the cover was ripped off. Yeah. And I went, oh, friend. Mm-hmm. And I took it out of there and uh, um, started, you know, fixing it up. And I repatched it and glued the cover back on, got rid of mm-hmm. the gum, tore out some blank pages like where the gum was. And it looked like a normal book. And then mm-hmm. I read it. And felt like, nah, those kids had the right idea. <laughs> Just yeah, it's not, not like it was Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. It was, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, uh, oh, because um, I was thinking of that because, you know, I have kids and you know, one of them just starting high school. And that was her reading assignment and for over the summer. And the first thing she said to me was that, uh, um, hey, um, I don't want to read this book. I heard it's really boring and doesn't make any sense. And it's uh, stupid. And I said, uh, and I said, <laughs> First of all, uh, the book is fantastic, and all your friends are very stupid. So, uh, just so what I did to kind of get her because all the kids now they're just looking at devices all, all yeah. day. They can't. It's very hard. I, I really, really feel bad for the English teachers trying to get them literally to read anything that's not on a screen. Um, even like maybe you can trick them. Like, well, no, read it on Kindle. Then you're still on a screen. That'll yeah. uh, that'll help. But um, so what I did, and I saw this like a couple of dads on Twitter did it, and it was like a great, great suggestion. Um, read the book with them because when they start to go into high school, everything's kind of as hard enough as it is. Yeah. So we sat down, we read it together. She would read the chapters. I would read the chapters. Then we would talk about what happened when she would get confused. I would explain it to her because that book was written a long time ago. As brilliant as it is, there are certain things that don't always translate mm-hmm. like just old sayings and things like that. Yeah. So afterwards, she was like, you know what? This is a great book. I'm really glad that uh, I read it. And she got an A, an a on it. So, But it's, it's one of those things where it, it's like you almost have to present things in a different way. I, I don't even want to say classic media, but it really feels that way. It's like uh, with books, like, yeah, it's not Instagram. You're going to have to work to actually understand it. But the rewards of actually reading and understanding or any piece of art that you actually put time into, you know, you get out of art what you put into it, uh, whether you're consuming it or creating it. And uh, and that was what happened. I slowed her down and I said, look, let's, let's do it together. And uh, she ended up loving the book. Chris Mancini from Comedy Film Nerds, which is coming to a close. If you did not know, they're going to be filming or uh, recording their final show December 12th at the Dynasty Typewriter, same place we're doing uh, my thing on January 26th. And support uh, Chris's thing. You can listen to the rest of that chat on Patreon. There's a busy month in Patreon. The James Urbaniak bonus chat is in there. If you'd like to listen to like a full other full extra hour of James and I, that is in there. There's uh, some 
with previous guests as well, Casey Hanmer, uh, and I've still, I can't decide whether or not to do a, a catch-up sort of explanation as to why our the whole hiatus happened and whatnot for uh, with this show in uh, August and early September. But uh, anyway, lots of uh, Patreon content in there, hyping hot content if you you just can't get enough and you need more. Thanks to those of you who do support the show. It is made possible from contributions from listeners just like you. And yeah, check out Chris's um, uh, Kickstarter thing. We'll do another plug of it at the end if you're looking for it. Uh, you can find links anywhere you search Chris Mancini. I'll post them as well on the uh, Space Cave Twitter and uh, thespacecave.com. It's called Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. If you search that in uh, Kickstarter, you can find it and help out and get a cool reward at the end. The The first book that he made, the, it looks beautiful. It's a really cool comic book. I highly recommend it. Um, okay, let's uh, let's get to the, the bulk of the conversation. This is a gentleman who, um, as I mentioned, that hiatus that happened briefly, was one of the scheduled guests, and we just couldn't quite make our schedules sync up. And uh, luckily, he was doing some traveling to the Los Angeles area. And I'm really glad to get him on the show. A uh, really fascinating chat. Um, not to give too much away or tease too much, but uh, it gets a little emotional. And uh, that hasn't happened all that frequently on this show. And it was really, uh, really genuine and endearing in the moment. Really sweet. He and I um, met in Bend, Oregon. He reached out, and I was doing a show there. And then he came to the show and... Uh, Afterward, we went to the Hopservatory, part of Worry Brewing Company, and it's just this cool telescope in a, an old grain silo that this guy Grant runs. Hello, Grant, if you're listening. Uh, genuinely enthusiastic, cool space nerd, Grant, and uh, showed Brian and I a bunch of stuff. And then Brian does the Skeptoid podcast, which I would imagine some of you who are listening maybe to this show for the first time, that's where you know Brian from. If you haven't listened to Skeptoid, they're at over 700 episodes. They're about 15 minutes each, jam-packed, full of well-researched facts about interesting stories, some debunking, myth-busting, variety of different versions and things that they do fascinating dude i really like chatting with them here's uh part one with brian dunning well we finally made it happen it um it would have been close the first time you almost did the show and then we decided not to because scheduling was just a little tough where you you could only make it at night and so we had to postpone a little bit here we are, finally, and I've caught up a little bit on Skeptoid. Now, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, so it's one of those things I have to remind myself. That, yeah. But every time I do, I'm like, man, that is useful. There's a ton crammed in there. There's 700 of them at this point. Yeah, and yeah. I just, <laughs> just wrapped 703 the other day. It, it's For me, listening to it, I can't help but imagine the setting and like when you're and you finished your work and you've written i think you told me the the word count or the number of pages like when you know like okay this is ready and try to keep it right around that all the time so when you efficiently kind of get every word in its place and then go okay here we go yep (laughs) (laughs) that's how it goes i mean the show's what uh you know 12 to 15 minutes usually and um 
so that yeah the word count is 750 words and i try not to go over by more than 200 <laughs> that's, that's basically the only guideline for for uh, what constitutes a skeptoid episode <laughs> it's incredible it's just so dense it's really pithy there's not even like a hey guys it's just you know. yeah yeah that's that's very much by design you know when, when i started a podcast you want to make creative choices that match your available resources, right? Uh-huh. So it's like, you know, it was a it was a side gig. It was a hobby at first, right? So I had to squeeze it in with everything else I did in life <laughs> with having two kids in elementary school at the time, in college now. <laughs> uh, and so a short format show is what made sense. And I'm much better if I can, I'm much better at organizing my thoughts in writing than I am in speaking. So I, I read from a script and... That had a that had a neat side effect because every episode ends up on the website as like a you know a web article basically, and since it's all original content, I've got seven hundred articles on there. Google loves it, <laughs> and so that ended up being a totally unintended uh, side benefit of just the the format of the show with with all solid content like you say no yeah. hey guys what's up here's what I've been doing this week yeah nothing at all like that so. I would I there are a lot of components to it that fascinate me and I was just talking to my friend James on the show a while ago and he will audio edit you know he'll record vo- you know essentially like a whole script like a feature length script but then put in all the foley work essentially to bring it to life but it's just an audio piece wow. when I think of doing stuff like that I'm enamored by the process and the thought of doing it when I actually think of actually sitting down and really hammering it out, I get a little overwhelmed. So I always think that you have to understand what you truly like and not try to do things that other people like. Whereas if someone went, yeah, that's what I'd like to do. And then they sat there with their little cursor blinking and went, I don't like writing. (laughs) (laughs) So for you to do it, I'm sure there are plenty of people listening like, well, I always thought of doing that. How much was it just pure joy and passion? And was there some part of it is like I don't like all the steps but I want to do it no at first it was definitely just everything I wanted to do Uh, I had I had at the time 2006 um, you had to have five episodes uh, in order to get listed on iTunes so I had to come up with five shows I had to write them record them edit them do do the whole thing Uh and so I just picked kind of my five biggest pet peeves things that I'd always been (laughs) complaining about that I can't believe people believe this stupid thing. (laughs) And so that was like the first five shows. And by the time all five of them ran, you know, each, each week, so many people had been sending me ideas and feedback and saying, Hey, right away. Yeah. Right away. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it was 2006. It was really easy to be a big fish in a little pond back then. So, but yeah, I mean the, not a lot of people knew the pond existed. The podcast we did in 2011, people still thought that was on the front end of the podcast wave. And most of my conversations then were, Oh, what's it? Is that like a radio show? What is a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. So to go, do do I need an iPod for that? (laughs) To go back to Oh six, where, there was a pond that people even knew existed and that they were reaching out to you. Did you instantly feel like you had tapped into, you know, like how people have that story in life where, boy, I was, I was working this and I was in the grind. And then I always had this in the back of my mind. And the moment I did it, everything started working out way better. Was it kind of like that where, you know, you, 
you have these ideas, these five things that bother you. Like, I can't believe people think they're healed by crystals. I'm going to write about it or, you know, whatever it right. is. And then you do it and instantly there's feedback and an audience saying, hey, we've been here. We're, we're ready. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised that uh, for some reason what I was doing resonated with people. And um, I don't know if it was, you know, people are always telling me, hey, you got a great voice for radio or something. Maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Um, I was, but it, in school I'd taken writing for film and television, so I kind of tried to make them... Uh, Cinematic's not the right word because it's a podcast, but you know, I tried to I tried to make good storytelling. And looking back, I look at those first five and they're horrible. <laughs> In fact, I think I've re-recorded all five of them by now. Oh, really? You went the George Lucas route? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I added McClunky randomly <laughs> in, into every podcast. <laughs> no, I took some of the some of the ones that didn't kind of over the years standards would develop, right? And so I would go back and fix ones that kind of violated those standards for content and, and stuff like that. I see. And then little things like when you're quoting someone and using a bit of a filter to differentiate little things, that, which are eff effective in a number of ways. One, it's, you know, you know, you know, it's a quote. And two, if you're listening, kind of not that you're zoning out, but just kind of it jars you to where, like, oh, right, I'm still here. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. A lot of people tell me they they love listening to Skeptoid because it puts them to sleep at night. <laughs> I think that's every podcast. <laughs> they, they, always, they always write that to me. And then the, then the next second is quickly, oh, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I meant that in a good way. <laughs> That must have felt cool because prior to that, you said like your background wasn't in that at all. And I forget what you told me. So the backstory with how we met is you reached out when I was doing a show in Bend. Yeah. And then we got to do that great thing where we went to the observatory. Yeah. Which thanks to my friend Trina who suggested, who even put that in the the ether around me so I knew it existed. But when you showed up and I said, oh, hey man, have you heard of this observatory? It was one of those things where a bunch of stuff aligned where you went, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I was like, well, whoever gets this lucky in In fact, I was thinking we might go there. <laughs> yeah. And then you sent him a text and just it felt like one of the cool kids. Like, oh yeah, we can go kind of as they're closing. We'll show up after hours. And that was great. Yeah. What a cool thing. We saw Saturn. That was amazing. That's a super, super special place. And, and that kid, uh, Grant, the guy that runs the telescope there he's he's just such a nice guy yeah and he's so excited i mean he's he this is his job this is what he does he runs the telescope there and he's been doing it for i guess only been open about three years so that's how long he's been doing it but he's still every day he's just so excited to be there it's yeah. a kid in a candy store he's just genuinely uh thrilled by sharing science and sharing astronomy with basically drunk people from the bar downstairs <laughs> it was so authentic though so genuine everything you're saying and it had a little bit of that element of like you know when a kid shows you their tarantula or whatever it is we're like and then this and then they do this and he knew all the stuff and that sounds like i'm demeaning it a little bit it was just that same enthusiasm but he was turning it wasn't like rote where yes if you look here we see this and we turn he was still you know telling us yeah as if it was the first time yeah. and were the first people that day he'd talked to that was incredible i went there once with uh fraser kane who is a guy that runs astronomy cast he's one of the two co-hosts of astronomy cast and they had known of each other for a long time through through like instagram and stuff like this and fraser had always wanted 
wanted to come and see that particular telescope. And when Grant heard that Fraser was coming, he was, you know, so thrilled. It was like the biggest day of his life. <laughs> so I'm just in there with these two guys. They know everything about astronomy. I just sat back. They're speaking Martian to each other. <laughs> I mean, I know a little, I know generally, you know, kind of, yeah. I, I thought I kind of knew astronomy and science and stuff. Nope. <laughs> Listen to the pros take over. It was, it was crazy. Uh, it was a, yeah. so much fun. I felt like you and I, even listening to Grant, it, the ability to ask questions, you start doubting yourself because they use terminology with the, even the, and I'm blanking on it now, the different type of like axes that there are for, you know, we rotated this way and then we, and then there'd be another word for how we moved it. And I'd go, Oh, right. I've heard that word before. Yeah. I don't know that I knew how to use it in a <laughs> sentence, but I'm following along. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm not sure what those terms are. I know there's like azimuth and elevation and stuff, but yeah, that's probably not the telescope terms. Cause you know, it has to follow this weird sort of sloping diagonal line through the sky. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Little things I didn't think of either where that plate on top, remember they had the bolts where they could adjust it just so slightly, but it's, I forget the the amount of concrete. It's built in an old silo and it goes down. I wouldn't even foster a guess, but it was an outrageous amount of concrete poured to make it as sturdy as possible. And then even still with settling and shifting, and like you were talking about before we started recording, bend is on it's like lava so yeah. there's already kind of a bedrock there <laughs> and, yeah it's bedrock that's for sure and even still they ha- it, it adjusts little millimeters and micro kind of ooh, we're off and then again he'd use a term in this direction azimuth or whatever you said i'll use that that's something let's say azimuth yeah <laughs> it sounds good it sounds like a good sciencey word yeah but anyway that when things like that start coming together because it's just something you were passionate about that must feel like okay this is this is not only right but and this is what i want to do but it's working you know a lot of people get stuff where they're like all right i'm passionate about this like i love golf i'm never going to be a pro golfer you know people <laughs> like that this was you essentially saying i might try to take a few swings and then people showing up and be like play our course yeah play for free yeah let us give you money to come play <laughs> and suddenly you're you're in the game you're doing it and and so when you when you came to bend um, the guy, uh, Ryan, that runs Bend Comedy, you know, I'm on his mailing list, so I get the weekly email of what stand-up comedians are coming in. I'm, I'm like, David, oh, man, yeah, he's like the science comedian guy, isn't he? <laughs> and I, to this day, I'm not sure where I knew you from, or but but somehow I did. Interesting. And so, yeah, I told my wife, yeah, yeah, we... I don't know where I know him from, but we got to go see this guy. So <laughs> There must be a current of something. Every now and again, I'll get an email from someone. Usually, it's like a casting person. Hey, I was looking for science people, and I found you. And then I always wonder, am I on some list or something? Where did that come from? <laughs> I've never billed myself as like the science guy. And a few times, I've gotten gigs that were sort of science-centric. And then I always feel like my stuff's a little more maybe hippie-ish or existential in a way where it's not like, here's a science fact and a joke to accompany it. <laughs> There's, like, there's a, a general like interest in science, I suppose, but I'm glad it appeals to people that are, that are like into science. And now for a joke about boron. <laughs> you see the thing about it. I was walking up a trail one time. So in the woods, no cell phone of any sort, uh, no way to access information other than what's stored in this old analog version I carry in my skull. And this group of people just, and this sort of thing never happens. One of the people goes, hey, we were just trying to figure out what's the atomic weight of gold? Just up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And I was suddenly like, I should know this. And then I panicked and was like, I, have, I don't know. And I started envisioning the periodic table and I guessed 64. What would your guess be? 
I would guess higher than that, but I don't know. I, 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 like you, I can imagine where it is on the table. I know what else is in its column, but I really don't have any idea what the numbers are. I'd say around 80, a little that, higher than yours. When I, at 64 struck me because I had done a presentation, you know, one of those things when you're in like junior high of pick one element and write a whole bunch of stuff about it. I think I had done silver or something similar, something that was in the 60s. So I went like, I think gold's right around there. It's 36. That's it? Yeah. Isn't wow. that shocking? Yeah, that is. And that, when I, the rest of the day, like walking, I, there was a part of me just going, I can't wait till I get home and I can look this up. And then of course you forget. And it was a couple of days later when I was back in internet world that I was like, oh, right, gold. And I looked it up and it was 36 of all things and, uh, or of all numbers. It just was one of those things where I'm impressed when people can carry around that type of knowledge. You know, like have it offhand. And I feel like I talk to a lot of scientists that have the whole world as like a database in their mind. You you get to do little <laughs> 700 episodes. Like how much of it you think you're retaining? My, my, the, the database of stuff in my mind is like all the famous ghost stories and urban legends, <laughs> though. It's not, not the, atomic, the atomic number of anything. Or <laughs> yeah, I, I worry about, about my own brain if it's just... Like throughout the day, I can carry on conversations and be like, oh, right, I remember this, and I remember that. But, you know, I'll have, like, pretty lengthy conversations with people, and I'm getting immersed in or, you know, kind of bombarded with a lot of meaty stuff to hang on to. And afterwards, someone will tell me that same thing a couple months later, and I go, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. And then I wonder... It, are we just keeping fractional parts of everything we kind of learn, especially as we get older? We're like, it's in there somewhere. I learned it in fifth grade, but I could learn again about whatever, you know, how the, how the universe was formed and some certain element of it that I'd go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I, uh, I'd forgotten that. Well, you know, the thing is, what's the way that our brains evolved is it doesn't keep uh, unimportant information, it keeps important information. And the, the difference between those two kinds of things is it doesn't keep the facts and figures. It keeps the idea. Mm-hmm. Now, f- for getting through your daily life, you usually don't need to know the atomic number <laughs> of gold. Yeah. But you need to know kind of the general idea of how and why we make mistakes and, and, and things like that. So it's fortunate that that's what's important and that's what our brain stores. Yeah. I, I agree, but I just wish mine had a bigger margin for like... This could come into play. This could be valuable. Well, that's that's why we all have iPhones, though. <laughs> right now, you got yeah. in your hand. You've got the sum of all human knowledge. For that's true. We are the you know the result of the shoulders of giants, so to speak. And yes. now we've gotten yeah. to this point where is that what our brains are doing? Do you think kind of going? I, I don't really need to retain that. I can access that podcast I once recorded and know that I heard. It said to me there. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, do you remember 15 years ago, we n- knew by heart all of our friends' phone numbers because we had to dial them, yeah. right? And now we don't know any phone numbers at all. We probably know our own, but that's probably the only phone number that we actually know. Oh, speak know. for yourself. I know I've, I've <laughs> kept probably 50 to maybe 100. Okay, I remember all my friends' phone numbers from when I was eight years old. <laughs> but I don't know my kids' phone number. I know my wife's, but I don't know my kids. Wow. Uh, or any relatives or any friends. Anyone I've met in the last 20 years, I don't know their phone numbers. But I don't need to. Yeah, that's and true. And so that frees me up to, well, I, you know, that's actually a good question. I don't know if that actually frees up any space in your brain, quote unquote. That's, mm-hmm. that's a question for the memory experts and the 
and the, and the memory experts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think about it a lot, and I don't know why this concept of, of skeptoid or, or just science in general or learning plays into it to a certain degree, but I, I only have my own mind and or brain to go off of, but it's working on kind of a sliding scale as I get older, so it's not as plastic anymore, and if I put a kind of a timestamp at this particular point, and what do I have to measure it against? Only my younger self and or mm-hmm, someone mm-hmm. else who's not me, so I, it's hard to really have an idea if the phone is impacting it, if I, if I force myself to read more physical books, and then I wish I do to a certain degree, but not as much as I used to. What would allow me to, I think when you go to small towns or like a village and people would recognize their friends from high school better, I have this fear that I would run into people that I've known for a long time and my brain would kind of be like, we've met too many people. I don't remember who anyone is anymore. And then is that just some version of Alzheimer's or is that just a byproduct of your brain being like, whoa, we reached a threshold it's too much. We got too much in there. That seems to be so common, though, that nobody can remember anyone's name. You know, the, the, the second you're introduced to someone, you forget their name just as yeah. j- as, as soon as the last syllable goes through your eardrum, you immediately <laughs> forget it. Yeah, it's so that's so common. Yeah, and that to me, that's a very a very interesting little fact. Why does that happen? Yeah, I was. I think I called you Mark in Bend, and then afterward, I was like. I'd also like mess up little parts of my act and I was like, oh, it's 7,000 feet here. I, that's what I was blaming any like, <laughs> laps I had. I was going, oh yeah, jeez, I, I, I made a few flubs. Ah, I was high altitude or something to that effect. <laughs> well, it's only 3,800. So. <laughs> Damn it. I was thinking of Flagstaff. I think Flagstaff is 7,000. Maybe, ah, maybe I'm just, again, what's this parade useful for? It's keeping nothing. It's only 3,800? See, ah. in, but in your daily life, you don't need to know the altitude of any particular city. <laughs> I do if I'm building it into an excuse that I'm trying to make for <laughs> this brain of mine. I feel like Skeptoid's so great because it can give, like I mentioned, really dense, quick, 12 to 15 minute things that even if it's just for the day or the week, people have that thing to go off of. They run into people at a, any interaction and say, hey, did you know? Or someone says, you know, I was I was wearing these copper bracelets or I was in a hyperbaric chamber and you can go, <laughs> I, I just listened to this podcast episode and you can cite studies and you can sound like you know what you're talking about. But I'll bet six months later that same person would go, right, uh, uh, there's something about, I don't remember the specifics. That's when you can tell someone's story has gotten a little older because they're going, there was a study, I don't remember the exact numbers, but essentially it said this. You know, that's that's how it is for me, which is, which is unfortunate because... You know, I do, I do a podcast on something. People expect that I have some certain level of expertise on it. <laughs> and they might be citing an episode I did eight years ago. Uh-huh. And I can remember, yeah, it has something to do with this. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was probably someone who wrote a book on it. And I don't know what it said. I mean, I would sound like an idiot if I tried to discuss <laughs> the, the, the facts and figures, the little bits and bites of, a, of an old story. I've just done too many of them. And I wonder if people inherently kind of understand that or would be disappointed. I think they're always disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> He's not a computer. <laughs> we, we get familiar with that concept, I think, because professors and people like that, or maybe Alex Trebek or Bill Nye, they, 
the retention they have or the database they have, they're kind of always going over it. They're reteaching it. They're saying it again and again. If you're a professor and you get to do it a several times during the day, once a year, you really know how to talk about that subject in a way that 20 years later, you could probably sit down and go, well, here, here's how this works. And then everyone goes, wow, you know a lot of stuff. And it would, I think to an outsider, be more, it would be arguable that, well, you know very specific, finite details about that column of, of information but everyone else is kind of dealing with this very spread out thin layer of just a little bit of everything well i think you might think that because when you hear those guys talk they're basically doing their performance they're reading off of a script or they're mm-hmm. they're they're very prepared to what they're talking about which is the same impression you'd get listening to me on on my show i'm never grasping for an idea or anything i'm reading it off of a script <laughs> <laughs> so I, I sound like i know what i'm talking about and it's only the very few people who meet me and read your life and ask me about something to say yeah i don't know something something happened <laughs> wow you're much more of an idiot than you sound like on the show that would be so refreshing and i would imagine for a lot of people like helpful you know so they go, oh good there is not someone out right. there who, who can do what if you just flipped on a microphone and thank you for joining us and then just recited it from your mind the thought of someone existing like that that's not a robot is not necessarily frightening but it's it doesn't make you feel great about your abilities i tell you it would save me a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) yeah how much work are we talking about i think we talked about this before a little bit yeah so it's 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 been it's years ago it was just me and i would spend all of my waking hours outside of work doing research and writing. Mm-hmm. And then once it became my full-time gig, I was spending basically an entire work week, five days researching and writing. And so those, I really went deep in those older days. And now the company is a nonprofit. I've got four employees. We're working on all these other projects. We've got board of directors. We've got uh, grant applicants. There's so many different things going on that I've got like maybe a third of my week available to actually do the research and writing. Now, luckily, I've gotten much better and more efficient at it. But I always wish every week, and this has been since I started the show, every week, I wish I had more time to follow some of the little threads of the story. Mm-hmm. Because what, what, what I try to do every week is I try to put something together that nobody else who has written on this subject before has come up with put some find some connection that that has not been previously published that's what i try to do every week Mm -hmm. i'm not always able to but those connections are out there for every subject you just have to have the time to find them and so i'm 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 always crushed and disappointed every (laughs) single week when i have to decide where to stop following a thread snip i'm not going to find that old newspaper article from 1830 Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to give up and move on to something else in the story what an interesting thing to think about as far as your time and how it's a commodity in that looking through it uh, in a way where what if I had unlimited ability or what if I could process time faster than other people so that I could follow those threads, but maybe I wouldn't need as much sleep or maybe I'd be one of those people. Oh, we need four hours a night. And then you go, Oh good. Now I can follow those threads. I am one of those people. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, so you- I can't sleep more than five hours at the most. And often I just get three. Wow. It's just, which is terrible. I, 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 because I'm tired all day. <laughs> I just, I just suck at sleeping, but still productive. No, 
<laughs> no, that, I mean, it sounds like you that are. middle of the night time when, you know, if it's still 2 a.m. and I can't get tired yet or I wake up at 3 a.m. and that's it, I'm ready to rock and roll for the day. Those ac- extra hours are not productive ones. My brain is not quite happening. Oh, right. Yeah, um, you need like solid, solid REM sleep and then get up and then kind of shake out the cobwebs and then go. I bet everyone has different ways in which... Do people spring up and are wide awake and alert? Very few people, I think, do that. I, I do that. No matter when I get up, if it's 3 in the morning or if it's 6 in the morning, my alarm's set for 5.50, mm-hmm. and I make it there about a third of the time. Wow. <laughs> and as soon as I'm up, I'm up. That's it. There's no hope of going back to sleep. <laughs> so you toss and turn a bunch, and then once you finally go to sleep, it's good sleep, and then you're up and ready to go get at them. And I look at the clock and go, crap, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> what if that's some sort of sign? What if something's <laughs> internally telling you? You've got more to do. You, you don't need sleep. I, you know, that's the thing. There's, it's not like there's anything on my mind or anything. I'm not like worried about anything. Everything's going pretty well in life in general. Like like um, uh, today, I, I yesterday, I, I, well, t- okay, so today I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. This is why I'm lucky enough to be able to be here now. Um, I, w- I was working. We're, we're, we're exec producing a documentary film, so I was working with the director and the editor today. So yesterday was my mom's birthday, so I flew down a day early. She lives down in South Orange County, so I spent the day with my mom and took her to dinner and everything. Happy I had to get birthday, up at, mom! Happy birthday, mom! I had to get up at, get up at four a.m. to get to the plane. No problem for you. And then I was seeing friends, and I was out with my friends until two a.m. last night. <laughs> and then I just woke up at about five thirty this morning. No hope of going back to sleep, so I just sat and caught up on email and everything. Because the, the guys working on the film, they don't start till 10 or 11, so mm-hmm. I had time to kill. Whew. But then today, sitting in the editing room, I was literally having falling into these little micro sleeps all day long. <laughs> just the eyes would shut. One time I noticed, I, I just kind of jolted awake, and I saw both these guys sitting there staring at me. <laughs> you okay, man? <laughs> <laughs> Where I have a built-in excuse there is I can say, I've been up since 4 a.m., and I am not inclined and or built to do that, and therefore I'll need to nap. And then people would go, oh, my God. Whereas with you, they'd go, don't you always do that? (laughs) I'm just going to develop a reputation for that guy that falls asleep on you, right? (laughs) So you do tuck around a little bit in the afternoons, but not enough to have a nap, I, I will sometimes try and have a nap. And, and with me, my nap may only last 10 minutes. But if I get that at all, it's wonderful. And I rock and roll and I'm awesome the rest of the day. Wow. So you're, do you think your body, is it a metabolism thing? Do, do you go run? How do you tire yourself out to where? Have you had a day where you're so exhausted that you slept for 12 hours or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that, that happens actually quite a lot. Um, because I think to, because I get so little sleep during the week, Usually some weekend day or something, I'll I'll catch up oh, and I'll sleep okay. until seven or eight in the morning, mm-hmm. and that's just amazing. That's it. Oh, so okay. So your body is putting it aside and saying we need this. It's not like we we can operate every single day. And, yeah, I'm not hours. sure if that's a good thing. I know I know that from having done episodes on this. I know that humans are naturally biphasic. We need two sleep cycles a day is what's what our bodies want to do and that's the main one where we sleep during the night and then that's a siesta in the middle of the day Mm -hmm. and very very few people take that siesta so people who go to bed at night and that's the only sleep they get they're actually sleep deprived compared to what their body ideally wants do 
Have you ever read that story about the French guy who went into the cave and studied his own circadian rhythm? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, that was in one of my episodes. That was an episode on, um, there's an urban legend, the Russian sleep study, the Russian oh, sleep yeah, deprivation. Oh, yeah, Snopes did a great thing on yeah, that. Yeah, you see, you see like the, out their skin. Yeah, there's that. some monster-looking picture, yeah, that, yeah. which is a great picture. Yeah. I don't know how it was made, because it looks like a photograph, but it's, right. it's obviously so some believable. kind of illustration. You go, I, oh my, of course they would. They're ripping out their eyeballs, and they're, yeah. they're, they're, they look crazy. <laughs> no sleep made them crazy, and they turned into like zombies. So part of, I mean, that's a great example of how I approach the subject. It's, it's not interesting to say oh yeah that's that was just a fictional story somebody wrote for creepy pasta there you mm-hmm. go urban legend debunked end of story yeah. that's not what's interesting what's interesting is okay so let's look at the science of how this would work or w- how why we know that it couldn't have happened here's what happens when people actually do do this whole sleep deprivation thing and so i was looking at that guy you mentioned mm-hmm. and there was one or two other cases and 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 this is one of those times i was talking about a few minutes ago it's like i don't remember what those stories were <laughs> but they were kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> you put a stamp on the fact that at one point you did thoroughly yeah. invest a lot of time in knowing about it. I and did. it is recorded for posterity. So in some sense, it is in your mind, which is now being stored on the internet somewhere in your own voice. Yeah, yeah and the wonderful thing is I can get in the car and I can put on Skeptoid and I'll start listening to episodes from six eight nine years ago and i won't remember a single thing about them and it's like i'm 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 like any other person hearing it for the first time going wow that's really cool i used to be fully against rereading books watching television show or series and then we recently rewatched breaking bad it's the only show i've ever done that with mm. and throughout we kept going i had totally forgotten about this not just scene or actor but full full storyline i'd forgotten about it and things that when it resolves you go that was so impactful and it, i remember the feeling it gave me the first time and the fact that i not only was blown away by it the second time but that i didn't remember it is a little worrying it's a little worrisome that I, <laughs> my brain went oh let's see what happens here and another part of my brain should have been going you know what happens you've seen all of this what what is knowledge what is us learning anything other than we just take a little micro part of it to become the person we want to improve on so that we oh okay i saw this and now it made me a little bit more kind or i'm I'm gonna work on this and then you walk away but i think we have this feeling that we should be carrying around all the facts and all of the knowledge and remember every book and every character and every book and every storyline you're almost better off if you'd read one book and then anytime that book came up you could go oh yeah yeah remember this people go wow you know a lot about that book oh it's the only one i've ever read <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have some weird thing. I would much rather rewatch a movie that I've already seen five hundred times than go see a new movie. Really? Do you quote them and stuff? Do you know them? All oh, the way uh, absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's a number of movies I can just. And my wife hates this. I'll just sit and recite the dialogue along with the characters. In fact, any, who doesn't hate that when somebody yeah. does that, right? But I'm that guy. I can, I can do that with pretty much everything. Is, is the Big Lebowski one of them? No, no, surprisingly. Uh, uh, I enjoy that, and I've seen it a number of times, mm-hmm. but it's it's probably not one that I'd get many of the lines right. Oh, okay. I've, to me, that's one where I feel like so many people, it just struck that chord where you, there's so many quotable lines from it that I knew, I knew a lot of people, it seemed like, that could quote that. And maybe there is some 
worm element to why do certain things stick with us? Why do they burrow in and other things don't? There's that level of mystery or inexplicable. How would you tackle that on Skeptoid? Hmm. Well, um, that's that's memory research. Uh, I would start by, well, actually, um, I've gotten to know scientists in virtually every field in the world. So I would probably call someone I know and ask them, "Hey, what should I look at for this?" Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can you can start by doing a liter a literature search, uh, which is a wonderful thing about the internet now. It's because even even today, 2019, it's a lot better than it was in 2006 as far as being able to do literature searches and full text searches on old books and old newspaper articles and everything. Um, and I have no, I haven't done that, so I have no idea what I'd find. But I would look for something that is really cool that I had never thought of before. Mm-hmm. And I would try and kind of weave a story around that idea. Um, and, and it would be a really cool episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but it'd be really cool. <laughs> Yeah, take us through the, uh, well, I want to put a pin. I've never said that on this show before, but I do. There's something about the idea of, is everything quantifiable? You know, could you look at, well, here is why you like that thing. Here, here's what's triggering little micro reactions in your brain. It's the person, sure. this or that. It's the way they're dressed. It's the camera angle. It's this lighting structure. Everything has a reason as to why your brain goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like this. You're, when you're when you were just reading on pages, maybe it was the smell of the book, but maybe there's something to be said for the subjective nature of good versus bad writing, and that good writing does worm its way in there, and your brain goes, "Oh, oh, I like this." And it's maybe not just the storytelling, but the way the structure of the words is put together. Then you could say everything is quantifiable and like way less subjective. In in some terms, you can objectively break things down. I, I know what you're saying, um, and it's it, it is something that I have thought about and wondered about, and I, and I don't think there is an answer. Um, I mean, I could I could kind of rephrase that by saying, how does the brain decide what appeals to it in particular that does might not appeal to someone else with very similar background and experience and knowledge base and everything, and. I really don't think there is an answer. I think that these things are too analog and too complicated, too interrelated, uh, self-referential um, for there to be an answer that, that would explain. Because I think even that answer, um, it might be different for every person. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reasons, the types of things that appeal to me um, might have nothing to do with the the qualities that make something appeal to you. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this then. This may be getting to the heart of the what what Skeptoid is. I am a charlatan, and I put out these infomercials or a, a series of web ads where I'm telling people that I have figured it out, and I know what makes anything successful. Are you a writer? I can tell you how to structure and arrange your words. Are you a filmmaker? I can tell you the colors. Look at this. Look at this. This is free. I'm giving you this for free, but if you buy my kit, I will show you why this and this and this work, and I can tell you how to go seven layers deeper, and I give it some flashy name like microanalysis and then that that word's everywhere it's a buzzword everywhere but you there's some tingling in your brain like this is bullshit 
this is bullshit, but how, how would you go about really analytically going through and proving in 12 to 15 minutes, yeah. like this guy's lying. <laughs> that's, that's why it's such a hard job because you can, in, in this advertisement you've just made, you can make 15 different factual claims, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not sufficient for me to just say, oh, it's BS. Right. You have to make a, a compelling case for each of those 15 points, which is a ton of work. You know, they, <laughs> they always say it's, it's, what's what's the what's the what's the what's the phrase it's it's so much easier for um for bs to spread than for facts or it's it's so much harder to debunk than than to just make stuff up yeah i, I forget the saying but um it's been particularly popular these last three years we've built in a nice safety net for any time that sort of scenario happens though in that yeah these brains of ours they just <laughs> they didn't have time to save it but i, I know the phrase you're trying to reach and so, yeah my brain's also going eh, but to know. get but to give you a better answer when, when that's the situation if i'm trying to do a show a, about that um it's also not a very interesting show if i were to just go point by point and say well here's why we know this isn't the case mm -hmm. um instead it's i would kind of take the whole thing as an example of of how how people are persuaded by things why is this particular advertisement persuasive here's the kinds of things that it talks about and then you can discuss the sociology behind that so you can treat it as a single subject rather than debunking point by point oh, because sure. those particular points aren't what's important mm -hmm. it's the whole overall idea of why is this a persuasive thing mm -hmm. so if someone's like a medium or something like that yeah and you're skeptical you don't have to attack oh they said this they said they could talk to this one dead person it's that they all have this overarching and think <laughs> you just very deftly close the door and then here comes this beast just bursting in like he owns the place we'll boot him out of here again it's, well, Jeez. i don't mind him being in here it's just a little bit chilly outside <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah well let's take a break here in a minute and uh um we kick him out and lock it and keep it nice and toasty in here. <laughs> it's very cavalier of him to walk in like that. But it, I guess the, most welcome. The 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 thing that interests me about how you know do you ever get that that bell that's ringing going you know it's just a BS detector and you you can't quite nail it down. Have there ever been episodes where you fundamentally know it, but only feel not know but feel and can't quite prove it or can't quite make an episode that that does in you to to your liking prove it for lack of a better yeah word. i mean there, there there's a million red flags and you see the all the all the usual red flags you see them all the time and so when you do this for a living as i do you get very proficient at spotting all the red flags and you know it's it's super easy for me to spot a, a charlatan pitch like you just described even though i might not know the science to debunk any of those particular points you're uh -huh. making all the same red flag arguments excuse me and the reason that you wouldn't have to use the red flag comments if what you were saying was the truth yeah yeah so i know that <laughs> well i can't say i know but i have a pretty darn good idea that uh, you're bsing me because you're trying to use these red flags and we're talking about logical fallacies you know things like you know the appeal to authority the appeal to antiquity kind of all these usual things the naturalistic fallacy mm -hmm. um all all of the usual suspects that that people 
used to sell things and to fool people with sciencey sounding language and compelling sounding arguments that and people do love to spread it you just be and, and when you don't have the resources on hand when someone goes you could be anywhere and it, it's something that you don't even it catches you off guard where they go did you know human beings were only meant to eat kale and in fact kale has all the ingredients <laughs> we need in it. it's fact man look it up kale has every single vitamin in it and these are listing off all these things as it because they're very invested and they've bought into this without any fact checking and you in the moment don't have all the necessary you just go I don't think that's right it's funny you say that because about two weeks ago I got into a great big long Facebook argument um, about about kale being (laughs) you know you could live on kale alone and so as a counter argument I used lard it's like (laughs) what is the most opposite thing to kale possible well straight up lard okay Mm -hmm. now lard is full of calories and it's full of energy that is in in one sense that is the most nutritious possible food yeah just straight calories you know and where the, where i tried to steer the debate was in the direction of okay you can only eat one thing and i can only eat one thing and we're both on an island doing the survival challenge which of us is going <laughs> to live the longest oh and i yeah. guarantee you the lard guy is going to live longer than the kale guy those are one of those scenarios or that is one of those scenarios where you just wish you had the money to gamble and it was real <laughs> that you know this yeah. is a this is a winning horse and i can't lose good luck kale guy <laughs> there was uh, i don't want to give away what the show is because in case you haven't watched it it's phenomenal i don't know how to do this so i want to promote the show but also there was a character so seasons of the show go by no one ever really captures any game and then finally on one season a guy kills a moose and the concept of the show is just survive as long as you can and i, I saw that season you did yeah. okay so then an animal steals all the fat and he's eating pounds of moose per day and losing weight because it's lean it's just protein he's getting no fat so he needed that lard he needed that concentrated (laughs) fat and that to me was so shocking where i just thought you you're made you're you're set you've got a you've got moose meat and he the medical team's coming out like sorry man you're losing too much weight so imagine if it were kale not even moose meat but kale has a fraction of the protein involved that moose meat would have it's ridiculous i tell you here's here's a really neat thing that i did once um my son Andrew and I were both obsessed with the story of Shackleton. You know, the, oh, man. The, 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 yeah. the Atlantic explorer, or uh, Antarctic explorer, excuse me. Um, and they were, you know, the, the brief version for people who might know it, their ship was trapped in the ice for a long time. They finally, it finally got broken up by the ice, so they had to transfer their supplies to the ice, and they made it to an island, and they set up a camp. And they were, they were alone for a couple of years, the total length of the adventure. And Shackleton, the leader, and a couple of his guys took a small boat, and they went and got rescue, and the, the other guys were all saved. Which the, was like throwing a dart at the small, if they had passed where the, in that little boat, they had no navigation navigational i mean they were going by their wits basically they didn't have gps they were just navigating by the stars they just had to be very good at what they did yeah Yeah, and they were and 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 it worked because it's it's notable because nobody died Mm -hmm. which is pretty surprising and really the reason that nobody died is because they had super excellent food stores so andrew and i resolved to recreate their food and it was a substance that they called hoosh um, kind of like hooch, which was the word for homemade alcohol at the time. Mm-hmm. And since you would slurp this down out of the out of the cup, they called it hoosh for whatever reason. So it, it is actually quite hard to find the recipe. Um, 
the captain of the ship wrote a book about the whole adventure and he went into some detail and another guy wrote another book and he went into a little bit other detail but the the food was actually developed by Shackleton himself uh, in conjunction with the British army food expert his name was Wilfred Beveridge is that perfect (laughs) or what beverage (laughs) bill beverage (laughs) so i'm sam snack so here's i'm bill beverage you got it you got it for for your meal each day you'd get a a chunk of this about the size of a stick of butter and you would just put this in a bowl and you'd pour boiling water on it um and you'd it it would melt and you'd mix it up and it'd be like hot soup and you would just kind of slurp it down and drink Uh it out of the bowl here's what it consisted of um first is um meat protein which is basically dried beef that was all ground up into a powder and then uh, vegetable protein which was basically any kind of vegetables also dehydrated and powdered up Mm -hmm. and then oatmeal dry oatmeal so these three things in equal proportions and then you pour lard in it until it's like peanut butter consistency Mm -hmm. and then you throw in a bunch of sugar and salt That'll keep you alive. It would. It has everything in it right yeah. there. Tons of calories. One of these blocks would be 6,000 calories. <laughs> oh and if you're God. in the Antarctic, you need that. Yeah. Just, your body's just trying to produce that much heat. And the thing is, it was so delicious. Oh, my gosh. It was wonderful. I'll and bet. It, that much all butter? The sh- yeah. yeah it's all, or all, lard, yeah. Yeah, lard <laughs> and sugar and salt. And then, it, of course, it's got all of the... It's got all the food groups in it. It's got meat. It's got vegetables. It's got the grain. And it was great. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. And I really was. That was my daily. I wish I didn't have to think about a menu. I wish it was just Just, kind of a Steve Jobs. Like, boom, got my hoosh and I'm off. Well, that's that's um, uh, Soylent right there. Yeah. (laughs) PBS did a Shackleton remake thing that you might enjoy. It's like one of their Nova things. Like the recreation of of the journey? Yeah, and they tried to keep wow. it as accurate as possible so they make the hoosh stuff they they try to recreate the clothing they would have worn they know the conditions are slightly different now but otherwise they go the same time of year they give them no navigational tools they're doing it in a boat that's built to the same specs and it's four or five guys who have uh, a leg up in that they're not Shackleton but they have more sailing skills or experience proficiency than the people surrounding him did yeah it's interesting. I highly recommend it just to show how insanely difficult and how one in a trillion the chances were that they would all survive. They would get where they were going, surviving those elements. It's one of the most amazing survival stories. I, I remember the, the part of the story that I think of the most was when the three guys took the little open boat, which they modified. They tried to put a deck cover over most of it so they had like a dry area, mm-hmm. but that didn't work. I mean, they're, they're rowing through high seas yeah they're in the antarctic and yeah. so they're all wet all the time you would how did they not freeze to death i have yeah. no idea but <laughs> yeah. they didn't and it took several days to get to this island and then they had to cross the length of this island in you know waist deep snow after having been wet for all these days and yeah. basically did it with with no ill effects <laughs> and really you got to give the credit to the food that they had they had amazing food six thousand calories a day no problem you could give me ten thousand calories a day <laughs> i don't think i would survive i just don't think we're we're in in endowed with the same level of fortitude or ne- we don't have need in the same way and we watch so many well, reality shows if you things. were in that situation you would have the same need 
weed in the same way. True. Yeah, maybe we would find that that element of humanity has never changed and that you and I would look at each other and if nothing else, we'd have a reference of Shackleton, but we'd probably shake our heads and be like, but we're not. I mean, we're, those guys never experienced air conditioning. They they don't know what the luxuries in life are that we know. So we've got the spectrum has gotten so big for us that the furthest ends of comfort of laying in a really nice hotel bed or something or a bubble bath or something they never experienced. We would be thinking of those things, whereas they were like, "Oh, it'd be nice to sleep on some straw right now." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a little break, and then I want to get in more to the, the birth of um, Skeptoid, All right. if you're cool with that. And let's then how are you enjoying this McKellar California Dream Pilsner? I, I enjoy it very much. Um, I, you know, since, since I moved from Southern California to Bend, Oregon, I had to completely reinvent my beer game, because mm-hmm. you can't just go up to Bend and say, yeah, I like 805. Do you have any 805? Because <laughs> no, they don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> They've got all of this, all this microbrewery stuff, and I've... Um, I've found so many really, really good beers that when I come back down here mm-hmm. from to where I'm used to growing up, there's no microbrews in Orange County. I mean, we'd have a Stella or, you know, something yeah. like that. It's, I thought that was good. And now I drink that. It's like, ugh. <laughs> Who drinks this stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, you, you're forced to become a beer snob <laughs> if you live in Bend. True. But the weird thing is San Diego County has more microbreweries than... Oh, yeah. Oregon, then the Napa Valley area. And this McKellar one, is, a, as far as I know, is still genuinely craft. I don't think they've been purchased by anybody. I, I enjoy this very much. You're one of the few people who have asked for a Pilsner. I think this is a nice one. No, I'm, I'm unique in that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, yeah, you're, you're, I, I, am, I am persuaded that a lot of the, the really hoppy, bittery beers are just brewmasters screwing with each other yeah i'm persuaded by that i think so it, <laughs> and a nice crisp pilsner i i it's refreshing and i really enjoy it and and especially when you start getting into really really good ones yeah and you realize the stuff you've been drinking your whole life is really <laughs> terrible yeah and not, not everyone does some people go they try it and they go, i'm still good with and then insert whatever kind of low level light beer or otherwise you know canned cheap two dollar <laughs> beer night at any given bar type beer i did notice a case of ribbon there in your oh in yeah your, in your kitchen it's in the the mud room for a reason that we <laughs> I, I mean, we're gonna give it to someone i don't know who but it just sits there until someone comes by like hey do you want this <laughs> all right we'll take a quick break and then more with brian dunning if you haven't tried that california dream pilsner from mckellar it's pretty good and come back for part two with Brian, just a, a sweetheart of a man, just a, a really great guy. Really like chatting with him. Glad he made time to come do it, and he hung out afterward and uh, chatted with us for a bit. Petted our dog. Yeah, very nice fellow. Okay, as I mentioned, Patreon really helps the show. Uh, beer, music, web hosting, tech stuff. It, it all it all helps. If you don't quite want to be involved for as little as like fifty cents a week, you can. Uh, you can buy some uh, screen-printed things at thespacecave.com in the store, whether that's T-shirts or uh, posters. That also helps the show. And um, But for those of you who do get involved in the Patreon, there's usually some uh, plenty of bonus stuff. And then uh, every now and again, some uh, little rewards get sent out and things like that. Feel more of a personal connection to the show if you really want to take it that step further. And if not, and maybe you've listened to the show only a handful of times, you're like, I don't know yet. 
Rating, reviewing, subscribing makes a difference in the thing that runs our life, which is algorithms. And it will uh, make the show pop up a little more frequently. So that's pretty good. I'd appreciate that as well. If you are looking to uh, get in touch, maybe you have suggestions for the show, beer, guests, music, whatever, uh, you can email pings at thespacecave.com or just go to thespacecave.com and uh, go to the contact page. You can see it there. Also, Chris has a uh, a more specific... This was recorded in the Patreon version of the conversation, but I thought it might be easier to just cut it out and place it here and let him describe uh, exactly where and how you can support his Kickstarter. So take it away, Chris. Yes, we have until December 10th, so it's we're definitely on a short timeline, but you know, any help, any pledges will be great. There's great things like the digital book, the uh, the uh, physical copy that I will sign, and then there's like all whole digital libraries from Starburns Press, and you can also tour the Starburns offices. There's that, and then there's, if you want to be on the last Comedy Film Nerds show in December uh, 12th, you could get that tier, but there's a lot of really cool things. The other thing I wanted to add to make sure like uh, maybe if there was other creators that were listening and that also wanted to make their own comics we added kind of like a help tier where people could go and pledge and then they would get a consultation through Skype with myself, the artist, the editor who worked for Dark Horse, and even the letter if like they wanted to learn more about making their own comic. So I kind of wanted to like help me get my book made and then maybe we could give some of that help back if to help you make your thing. So we added a couple of tiers like that too. All right. So now you know how to support Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master, support Chris, help artists make cool things and feel like you uh, were instrumental in doing that. So thanks to those of you who do even consider it and hopefully you follow through. Let's get out of here to end it on a, a bit of a sad note. And in, in, in my eyes, a very sad note, uh, the loss of someone I know from Austin um, in the comedy scene, the Cap City world, uh, you know, anywhere, you, anywhere I've gone in my life, it seems like you make little families wherever you go and people that, um, stay as a part of you, people that uh, are just in the back of your mind or you, you think about every so often, almost like a family member. And what would they think of this? Or what would their advice be? And Alex Coyle was one of those. He, um, My boss at the club was Margie, his wife. They were the most romantic couple you could ever see in your life. We went to their 20-year anniversary, the, you know, their wedding anniversary, and uh, you know we're all having fun and hanging out. At this point in the night, we looked over and like, hey, where are they? And then we went around behind this little shed and they were making out like teenagers. Like they snuck off just to be alone with each other. And I will never forget that. They weren't trying to make a show of it. They just really wanted to be around each other. And the thought of uh, losing someone like that, j just from anyone's standpoint, just that the world lost a human being like Alex, who was so kind, who always had a smile on his face whenever you'd go in to the club um, he always treated you like he knew you no matter who you were or how well or you did or did not know him. And he was probably the toughest human I've maybe ever met and would never let on that that was the case. He just did it for his own. It wasn't like he was trying to show off or be, uh, you know, um, like better than anyone. He just had this inner toughness that was incredible. He would get up and run in Texas like 15, 20 miles when it was like 110 out and 90 degrees or 90% humidity. 
it was just amazing. And then I'd ask him about it, like, how did you do that? And he was like, oh, I don't know, just did it. So just the most humble, sweet, just a great, great guy. And I just wanted to say that and mention that um, I'll be thinking about everyone in Austin at Cap City and Margie especially and their daughter Rachel and I hope everyone's doing okay. And I thought maybe this song has nothing to do with anything lyrically. I just think it sounds pretty and we need more pretty things in the world. It is just... It's too much sometimes when good things get taken away from the world and there are so many terrible ones not only existing but thriving and you just wonder what, why, and how does this continue? Is there any justice? There must be some rhyme or reason behind it. If there's not, it was nice that Alex was here for a little while and uh, even just getting to see him and Margie interact with each other from afar made my life better and i hope you know someone like that in your life and i hope if you have people like that in your life you recognize it maybe even tell them maybe take a moment it was just thanksgiving recently and be thankful that if you're lucky enough to have someone like that in your life that you want to sneak off and make out behind a shed with or if even you get to see it it makes your life better it was just wonderful to see and i'm so sad for all of them but also thankful that um, that he did exist and that um, touched so many lives and everyone got to experience Alex Coyle. So wherever you are, buddy, hope you're doing well. And uh, here's a pretty song to send us out on a somber note in the Space Cave. We'll see you next time. Hope you enjoy this song. This is by, by um, Baja Balat. It's called Your Girl. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Temperature